So a child is born, and this is entitled Special Delivery here. I want to start by reading you an article that was in a magazine. Her name is Tony, and at the age of 27, this young woman at the height of her reproductive years insisted on being sterilized to protect the planet. She had been searching for a doctor for several years in order to find one who was willing to perform the procedure. And according to Tony, having children is selfish and is all about maintaining your genetic line at the expense of the planet. Every person who is born uses more food, more water, more land, more fossil fuels, more trees, and, and produces more rubbish, more pollution, more greenhouse gases, and adds to the population uh, the problem of overpopulation. She strongly, so strongly does Tony believe this philosophy that she terminated a pregnancy earlier in life in order to protect the environment. She is convinced that it is her duty not to have a child. She says she wants to do nothing, or she wants to do something positive for the world rather than something negative. She had an abortion. She said it was because it would have been immoral to give birth to a child who would be a burden to the world. When people say she's crazy, she answers, no, the crazy ones are those women who haul their children short distances in gas-guzzling cars. Her, con her conclusion is that having babies pollutes the planet and that never having children is the most environmentally friendly thing she could do. Another woman in the same article said, um, one like person she interviewed, the same article says this, we do not need children to feel complete. It would be morally wrong to add to climate change and the destruction of the earth. What makes us happy is knowing what we're doing, that we're doing our bit to save the precious planet. Now, besides being one of the most incredibly illogical and morally reprehensible, ignorant positions I could ever imagine, that is one of them. And I think you would agree. And it's also diametrically um, opposed to the way God does save the planet. In fact, um, when God saves his people, he always sends a child. Let me say this again. When God needs to save his people, or when God needs to save the planet, he always sends a child. You know, you can, uh, you can see that. If you look at some of the stories that go with Moses and David and Samson and Isaac and Samuel, John the Baptist, even Jesus himself. So God's plan to save the world, it involves a, a birth announcement. So that's where we're going to start today with a birth announcement of the great deliverer whose name that you're probably familiar with, and that's Samson. So we're going to come out of Judges, the 13th chapter, and you'll immediately get a picture of this child, you know, who was a, a deliverer of Israel. And before we get past the first verse, something will just become painfully clear to everyone here. So number one is this. This is an undeserved deliverer. This is an undeserved deliverer. Notice verse one in chapter 13. Now, the sons of Israel, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. Now, this whole deliverer story 
it starts with the words, again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Judges or, you know, or, or the pattern of the entire Old Testament, for that matter, um, you know that the children of Israel, they were caught up in this vicious cycle here of sin, which led to slavery, um, which led to supplication, which led to salvation. You know, in other words, they would do wrong. They would end up in trouble because of it. They would pray to God in their trouble, and God would save them. So it's sin, slavery, supplication, and salvation over and over again. And when you come to think about it, isn't that our story? Think about that. Sin, slavery, supplication, salvation. I think that's our story as well. Well, at some point, you'd have think God would have just got tired of all that and just wiped them all out. But he kept saving them even when they didn't deserve it. He did it anyway. So here we are in Judges 13, you know, standing at one of those points for the umpteenth time here. And God is going to give them a deliverer that they really didn't deserve. And that was Samson. Let me ask you these questions. Can you identify with the Israelites at all? Can you identify with them? You know, have you ever asked God to forgive you? You know, you promised him you would never, ever commit a particular sin again. And then the very next day you went out and did it again. Have you, know, have you been there? I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but probably you have. And as the process just keeps repeating itself, more guilt comes and you begin to think, you know, will you ever get out of this vicious cycle? You know, you need grace, but all you feel is guilt and shame. Ever been there? I have. I'll confess it. Well, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey, he cites Lewis Smeeds, a professor of psychology at Fuller um, Theological Seminary. And Smeeds has identified three common sources of shame. He said it's secular culture, it's graceless religion, and unaccepting parents. He observes that secular uh, culture tells us a person, you know, a person must look good, a person must feel good, and a person must do good. Graceless religion tells us we must follow every letter of the law, and failure will bring rejection, eternal rejection. And unaccepting parents, when they make comments like, aren't you ashamed of yourself? It convinces us that we'll never meet their approval. And so like city dwellers who no longer notice the polluted air, we breathe in an atmosphere of what he calls ungrace unawares. He also tells of the movie, The Last Emperor, where a young child is anointed the last emperor of China. And this child lives a, just a magical life of luxury with a thousand servants at his command. And one day his brother asked him, well, what happens when you do wrong? He says, well, when I do wrong, someone else is punished. And to demonstrate, he breaks a jar and one of the servants is beaten for it. Well, Yancey concludes that in Christian the, uh, theology, Jesus reversed that ancient pattern uh, when he... Um, when servants erred, the king was punished. Very reverse of that. So grace is free. 
only because the giver himself is the one that gives it. See, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, Richard Nybar, he says this, the great Christian revolutions come not by the discovery of something that was known before. They happen when someone takes radically something that was always here. Samson's name means ray of sun. Now, maybe his mother named him that because she saw him as a ray of light or a ray of hope for Israel. Well, I know another child who was an undeserved deliverer. Do you? I think you do. In Romans, the fifth chapter, in verses six through eight, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I love Titus, the third chapter in three, verses three through seven. It says, we too, or for we too were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I don't know about you, but that's pretty encouraging to me. Um, that's a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Now, if you'll allow me to borrow from Philip Yancey one more time, he rewrote a thought from E.B. White that I can really identify with, and he says this. He says, grace can be dissected as a frog, but the thing dies in the process, and the innards are discouraging to any but the pure scientific mind. And he goes on to say is, I have read a 13-page treatise on grace in the encyclopedia, which has cured me of any desire to dissect grace and display its innards. I don't want the thing to die. Kind of like that when you look at it. You know, there is nothing wrong with trying to comprehend the incredible favor of God. There's nothing wrong with trying to comprehend the grace that God has given us. But no matter how you slice it, we did not deserve the gift we celebrate in the child, Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it. He is an undeserved deliverer. Number two, he's an unlikely deliverer. An unlikely deliverer. Back to Judges, our, our story here with Samson, verse two and three. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was infertile and had not given birth to any children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are infertile and have not given birth, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, as we can see here, Manoah's wife was infertile, and an angel of the Lord appeared and said, You will conceive and have a son. You know, when you read that, you're thinking, yes, this is Judges 13 and not Luke 1 here. You see the, the similarities. Look at the two birth announcements side by side. 
In Judges 3, um, says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are infertile and have not given birth, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. And then in Luke 1, you know, it says, it says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son. I really like looking at those two side by side. It's like this whole thing started long before we ever imagined. Now, Samson, he is an unlikely deliverer for other reasons as well. His parents manifested some gross spiritual ignorance, even though they may have been good people. And Samson himself, he was not a godly man. He made one mistake after another. He made one unwise decision after another. He made one, uh, you know, he made one sinful choice after another. Um, he married out of the faith. He was a playboy. He violated his vow. He visited prostitutes. He had a fierce temper. And most of all, sometimes just downright stupid. But he was the one that God used. You know what? It gives me hope <laughs> to know that God would use someone like that. Um, it sure he does. Now, I know another unlikely deliverer, unlikely for some of the opposite reasons here. He was neat and lowly. He came not to be served, but to serve. And there was nothing about his appearance that would draw us to him, according to the book of Isaiah. And in Matthew 13, it says, um, is this not the carpenter's son? And then in John, the first chapter, verse 46, can any Thing good be from Nazareth? And then in John the sixth chapter, you know, is this not uh, Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we knew? You see, Jesus was not the earthly deliverer that Israel thought they were looking for. He wasn't the one, but he was the deliverer nonetheless. Let's go to number three, an unusual deliverer, an unusual deliverer. In Judges 13, verses 4 and 5. And now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he will begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Notice here, no haircuts in his budget. Um, barbers, they might as well go to the unemployment line. Bartenders, you're out of luck too. There's not going to be no drinks on his staff. You know, it's going to be like the commercial got milk. You know, that's what he was, he was left with. Kind of a, a funny there, but this was an unusual deliverer here. And he possessed incredible, superhuman, supernatural, superhero strength. You probably remember the story of Samson. Now, I've seen dozens of artists' renditions of Samson, and I know you have too. You know, I saw those paintings in my Bible picture book when I was just a little kid. I've colored his picture in coloring books, and I've seen the Hollywood renditions of Samson and those Samson and Delilah epics. I've seen all that. And yet, I don't think I've seen a picture of Samson that didn't have huge bulging biceps, kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger on steroids, okay? Arnold Schwarzenegger on more steroids. But Tommy Oakes, a well-known minister, he asked one time when he was preaching a sermon on Samson, he asked this question. He looked at the crowd and he said, do you think Samson had muscles? 
I don't think I really ever thought about that question until just this week. Now, I'm not trying to be funny or anything like that, but my mind is kind of like Joe's in the sense that we want to know all the backwoods stuff. We want to know the things behind the story. We want to know all the details that we can so we can better put ourselves in this picture. You know, humor me here just a, just a minute. What if Samson wasn't muscular at all? What if his physique was not um, remarkable in any way? What if Samson was built more like me? You know, what if Samson couldn't have made the 90-pound weight list? I mean, wouldn't it have been just like God to put all that strength in a wimp? You know, you know, isn't that the way God works sometimes? Would it surprise you if you got to heaven one day only to find out that you were actually bigger than Samson? <laughs> I guess we won't know until then. You know, but think about this for me. And I had to think about this. I mean, it's a possibility. I don't know. But it was kind of fun thinking about it, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, think about this for a moment. You know, the Bible it has a special way of describing guys that are, are built like the Incredible Hulk. You know, just read the uh, biblical description of, of Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, where he's nearly 10 feet tall and he covered in arm, armor that a normal man couldn't even carry. Or um, Nephilim, you know, in Genesis 6, described, you know, who men, were, the men there, were they were men of renown and they were mighty men. Or Numbers, the 13th chapter, verse 33, you know, the men of Canaan that the Israelites spies, you know, they describe by saying, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Or maybe the mighty men who deserved David or who served David so faithfully in Samuel, the 23rd chapter. Or the giants of Gath in Chronicles 20. One of them was a man of great stature with 24 fingers and toes. This is a pretty good sized dude here. Or the Egyptian described in 2 Samuel 23, whose physique was uncharacterized as that of an impressive man. Or Nimrod, the mighty hunter there in Genesis, the 10th chapter. All these Hercules-type men are vividly and adequately described in Scripture, but there's no such description of Samson. You ever thought about that? There is no description like that. And why? You know, and there's more space devoted to the description of him than any other judge. But nothing is said about his physical build. I thought that was right interesting looking that up. It says, the Bible says this, the spirit of the Lord came on him mightily. Maybe that's one reason that, that people were so curious about the source of his great strength. Maybe he was just an average built man. You know, it's just speculation on my part, but I do know this. This is one thing I can say. He was an unusual deliverer at any, any rate there. Now, I know another unusual deliverer, one that didn't fight but turned the other cheek, one who was kind to his enemies, one who spoke like no other man ever spoke. And according to Matthew 11, one who said, my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. You know, what kind of man is it that even the winds and the waves obey his voice? Where did this man get his wisdom and his miraculous powers that he had? Who is the man that can forgive our sins? 
Folks, I would certainly say that that's an unusual deliverer. What about you? Let's go to number four, an unstoppable deliverer. Now we're going to skip down to verses 24 and, and 25. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanedin. Mahanedin. As close as good as I can do. Between Zorah and Eshtar. Now if you remember Samson's incredible strengths, and I'm sure you did, I won't take time to elaborate on that, but I will assume that you know some of the great stories of Samson. That was something we learned when we were real little, you know, because they were so intriguing to us. You know, his credentials are impressive. He killed a lion with his bare hands, just ripped his jaws apart. You know, he single-handedly killed a, thil a thousand Philistines using only the jawbone of a donkey. Now, I don't know if you can picture that, but that, that man, that had to be a sight to see. He carried the huge fortress gates and of the city and their post about 35 miles on his back. You know, he could break whatever they used to bind him with. And one interesting fact, you know, he caught 3,000 or 300 foxes and tied torches between their tails and sent them through the Philistine um, fields burning the crop. Now, I kind of marvel at that. When you start to think about that, how many foxes have you actually seen in your life? You actually seen 300? And here's 300 at one time. There must have been an infestation of foxes or something going on here. But nevertheless, it absolutely just amazes me that he caught 300 foxes at one time and was able to tie torches between their tails. Where did he get such an ability to do that? There was a billboard beside the road. You know, in the, bill, in the billboard, it was for a children's museum. And it simply says this. The power of children. And then it just names Anne Frank, Ruby um, Bridges, and Ryan White. Um, Anne Frank, maybe you remember, that was a German girl um, and a Jewish victim of the Holocaust who was famous for keeping records of what went on and shared a whole lot about the Holocaust. And Ruby Bridges, that was the first African-American child to um, desegregate the William um, France Elementary School. And Ryan White... Um, he, he was an American teenager from Kokomo, Indiana, who became the poster child for HIV and AIDS, you know, um, to educate people about HIV and AIDS. So this billboard here, it just says, the power of children, and it names these three names. You know, it's advertising the art gallery or display or something there, and I don't know what the content was, but I do know this, a child sent for a particular purpose by God is unstoppable, especially Jesus Christ. See, I know a truly unstoppable deliverer, and I know you do too. In John, the 10th chapter, verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have no authority to lay, or I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back. And in Luke, the 19th chapter in verse 40, Jesus replied, I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. And then in Matthew 25 in verse um, 53, or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once 
put at my disposal more than 10 or more than 12 legions of angels. And then in John, the 19th chapter, verse 11, the first part of verse 11, Jesus answered, he said, you would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you from heaven or from above. And then in Matthew 16, verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You see, certainly this is an unstoppable deliverer. Nothing can take it away. No one can defeat him. No earthly man, no child, no woman can defeat him. I want you to notice something else in our text as we close out this message. Back in Judges 13, in the second part of verse 5, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Notice that Samson, as a deliverer, is just the beginning of deliverance here. You know, the and the other child, the children that we're going to look at in this series, they're children of promise, and they're the beginning of God saving this planet. But these children, they always point to the greater child, who is Jesus Christ. You know, when God ultimately saves the planet, he does so with another child, his own child, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who rescued us from a great danger of death and who will rescue us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You want to be delivered? You want to be rescued? God sent a baby child to do just that. That child didn't stay a baby. He grew up to be a man and he paid for the sins of every one of us. That's a child deliverer. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the time that we had together this morning. Grateful for your word. Father, we're grateful for a different way of looking at the whole deliverance theme here and how it started way back in the Old Testament and it keeps going forward. And we'll see how one just connects to the other right on through the time of history. Father, we're just grateful for that. We're grateful for you loving us the way you do. And Father, we thank you for providing a way to deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.